everybody. Welcome to the August 31st, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Denver police releasing the body cam footage of officers handcuffing Colorado Independent Editor Susan Green, which included the officer telling her to, quote, act like a lady. Uh, Patty Calhoun from Westward, you have acted like a lady uh, the whole time in your time on this program. When we saw this footage, what were some of the images that went through your head, even though we talked about this issue for quite a while around this table? Well, first of all, it may be very glad that we now have the body cams in operation. Usually the events are going to be more egregious than this, than this because Susan already had a weapon to share it with everyone. She could put it on the Colorado Independent website. But just being able to see it for itself was pretty fascinating. And yes, I'm trying to act like a lady, although I didn't su think Susan was all that unladylike. I wholeheartedly agree. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, you made the point when we've been talking about this before about the whole HIPAA thing, and this has become a, a bigger deal. Was the whole HIPAA rule used correctly? At, at least possibly. And under that, that's why the Denver DA correctly said there's certainly no way to, to prosecute the, uh, the law enforcement officers because even in a civil case, law enforcement officers are protected by something called qualified immunity, which means if they violate a clearly established rule, then they're liable. But if there's no clearly established rule, then they're not. And if, to the extent the rule is clearly established, as we talked about on the show, HIPAA says that health insurance providers, which includes the Denver Sheriff's Department and Police Department, they provide lots of health care to uh, prisoners, uh, and they also, the cases say they can't allow a third party to film someone, and a hospital ended up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars because they allowed some film company to film people in the hospital. So you can see at least plausibly how that would apply uh, to the police here with some guy who was having some mental issue or something like that, and they were trying to protect reasonably his privacy under the law. So this whole narrative that the police are certainly the bad guys, I think, is, is not at all clear, and there, there's more... Wherever the law is, uh, they didn't plainly violate it. Eric Sonnerman, political analyst, we have talked uh, a lot about the police department's response. There's an internal investigation going. Do they need to respond more now that the body cam footage has been released? Sure. I mean, I don't know if they need to respond more, but they need to respond. Uh, my main observation, Dominic, is just uh, there's an irony and there's also an appropriateness that of all the journalists in town, this was Susan Green, who has done as much as any journalist over the last decade or more to expose police excesses and, in particular, to deal with some of these issues uh, and issues of innocence and, and people wrongfully excused. She's the one more responsible than anyone else for Clarence Moses Eld's being out of jail uh, 28 years later. So I, I, I'm taken with both the irony of it and, and somehow that it's fitting and appropriate that she now gets to write in the first person instead of in the third person. Megan Schrader, editorial page editor of the Denver Post. It's great to have you on the panel, uh, especially if the editorial page uh, now back to full strength, I guess is the best way to put it, the Denver Post. Uh, what did you think when you saw this body cam footage released? So I, two things. One, I probably would have responded the same way to a police officer asking me not to record something on a public street. Um, I, it's a public street. I can have my camera out and recording it. You know, I, I think I would have responded the same way to that. And then as if they asked me to act like a lady, I think I would have had the same response that she had as well. It was, um, it would have, it was inappropriate. I thought the behavior of the officer, his response to, um, uh, her attempts to record it, um, I thought was inappropriate. Absolutely. 
The November ballot is beginning to take shape. The Secretary of State's office announced this week that proposals regarding transportation funding, property rights, and drilling, drilling well setbacks have all officially made the ballot. Patty, uh, there's only so much ad space and political, political oxygen to go around. Is there going to be enough for all of these ballot issues to get some time? Well, these ballot issues, yes, because there's the big ka for both of them. Certainly the transportation, not the Independence Institute transportation one, Fix Our Damn Roads, but the one pu pushed by the Chamber of Commerce, they will have the war chest out. They're already rolling up to the TV stations with wheelbarrows full of money to buy time. And there's so many other ways you can now push campaigns. And the fight, 108 and 97, so you've got the property, the private property rights, versus the no fracking within 2,500 miles, no well drilling, 2,500 feet, sorry. <laughs> 2,500 miles is probably what they'd prefer, but 2,500 <laughs> feet. That is going to be so hard fought. We already knew this was going to be an expensive election, just given our two gubernatorial candidates and the interest in um, Kaufman's seat and some others. But these are going to take up all the space and all the money they possibly can, and they're going to be hard fought. David, there are uh, many issues in the ballot of... Uh, pretty big importance. There's a couple amendments. There's some propositions that'll be more sta uh, statutes, but uh, all of them deserve a good amount of attention that voters should be digging into. There's not a, a great deal of slam dunks like, oh, it's A or B. There's some details here. Uh, are voters going to miss some of those details because of so much money being invested by other sources? Well, they're not going to miss details because there's more advertising that, that you know, knowledge is good, as the, the motto of the, uh, the college at Animal House uh, said. Uh, voters vary in, in how much attention they pay and, and how responsible they are, but the, the system of Colorado's government has always been uh, to try to have as much democracy as possible to greatly mistrust the legislature, a, one of the principles of our Colorado Constitutional Convention in 1876, which has been well vindicated by history uh, <coughs> over the years. And so people make these important decisions themselves. And, and again, we're having the continuing struggle between the, the makers and the takers with the, for the Colorado Farm Bureau pushing th some things that say, if you do a major regulation that, that drastically reduces the value of somebody's property, Maybe that's fine, it's for the public good, but pay them the compensation for the property you've taken. And then on the other hand, the people who want to outlaw, in essence, uh, the oil and gas industry in Colorado and give the victims of that nothing at all. Eric, uh, you and I have both have seen a great deal of elections come and go around here. What happens in an environment where there is so much money in some major races, both candidate and ballot issue, with other important ballot issues that may or may not have the same kind of war chest? Oh, they'll be quickly forgotten. I mean, voters will see them when they sit down around their kitchen table to fill out ballots, and they'll go to the Blue Book or they'll go to other sources of information. But uh, to not be on the air is not to exist in a, in a, in a high-profile way. I think the, one of the real impacts here is all of these issues you talked about, Dominic, will have war chests for advertising, or at least one side of those issues will have uh, war chests for advertising. And uh, Stapleton and Polis will be heard from because of their money and just because it's a race for governor. But some of these other races, the down-ballot races for attorney general, treasurer, secretary of state, et cetera, they're going to have a hard time competing for that kind of attention just because all of the advertising time 
is going to get uh, soaked up. It's not lost on me, and I found it an interesting move. I can't turn on the TV these days without seeing a George Brockler for Attorney General ad, and I have to believe, and which is early for in a typical election cycle, I have to believe there's a calculation in his camp that this is about the only time I'm going to be able to get attention before everyone else is on the air. So let me spend some of my money in August, as opposed to the old formula, of of, of just keep of just keep the money in my pocket. We're almost at Labor Day. Uh, it's Labor Day weekend here. The campaign, quote unquote, officially begins, and and we're going to be in for it with these ballot issues. You make a good point. Uh, I live down on Highlands Ranch, and I, I don't know if they've geo-targeted the Comcast signal down there, but I'm already seeing a Jason Crow Pro ad and a Jason Crow Con ad right next to each other in between uh, our commercial breaks. Uh, Megan, the Denver Post editorial board is going to be busy this year. How, how do you go about looking at a ballot and all these different races that are so important? So the... I'm happy to announce the editorial board will be making endorsements this year. And so um, hopefully voters, when they sit down with their ballot and it's a mile long, can Google and pull up the Denver Post editorials and it'll help inform them. Um, and it is going to be a challenge. You know, we, we hope to get everyone in, but the reality is for some of those down ticket races, um, we can't get everyone in to meet before the full board. Um, and uh, certainly on the ballot initiatives, we'll get both sides in. I plan to have pro-cons in the paper to let them lay their issues out. But, I mean, then you get you add on top of that the city of Denver ballot initiatives, and it's, it's going to be a lot of work. But um, hopefully we can sift through it and, and get there, and hopefully voters don't get fatigued. Hopefully as they consider these issues, they make it all the way through the end and thoughtfully um, cast their ballots. Well, I'm looking forward to thicker-than-normal perspective sections on Sundays. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. The Colorado Public Utilities Commission gave initial approval this week to an XL Energy plan to close two coal-fired plants that the company plans to replace with renewable energy sources. The approval and plan are arriving 10 years sooner than expected and will trigger $2.5 billion in investment from Xcel Energy. The company estimates that by 2026, 55% of Colorado's energy will come from renewable sources. Uh, David, as I said before the show, I feel like I'm putting a softball on a tee for you. So I'll, the, the floor is yours. Do you consider this a good move from Excel as an investment? Oh, it's an outstanding move from Excel as an investment because they're going to make much more than they, they put in. Um, and when they bought up all the lawyers in Colorado who have expertise in public utilities regulation, uh, they're also getting enormous returns uh, on their in investment. The, the theory of public utilities is the government forcibly creates a monopoly on some service or an oligopoly and then regulates it supposedly in the interest of the consumer. So for a company like Excel, they buy inputs, you know, whatever energy source it comes from, and then they get to mark that up by a certain amount. Well, the prices of those inputs go up and down, and so that's, that's kind of a fixed thing for Excel. So how do, how do they make even more money? Well, they say we have to do more capital investment. We need to build more things, because when you build more things, then you get to make your profit on that as well. So a while ago, they said, oh, we've got these coal-fired plants. But let, let's upgrade them so they stay current and actually ahead of the curve of pollution control. We'll make these some of the state-of-the-art uh, clean coal, uh, low-pollution plants and extend their service life. So they did that and, of course, got to make their profit on upgrading them. Now, 
while these plants are still doing great, they say, oh no, let's get rid of that and let's switch over to something else. So we'll have to spend in, put in 2.5 billion in investment for which we'll get above our investment way more than 2.5 billion back. And supposedly, according to the Public Utilities Commission, uh, looking out for the consumer, sometime in the 2040s, all the extra money that Excel is raking out of the consumers starting tomorrow, more or less, will come back to them in savings uh, a quarter century from now, supposedly. But I bet, I think you can bet, that by the, before those savings ever show up, Excel will have another investment to make where it's you front-loaded with jacking up the spending and the extra charges to the consumers, and the savings to the consumers are always way out in the future and never materialize. Eric, uh, David's milquetoast answer to this notwithstanding, uh, I, I think this has political repercussions this year because of our gubernatorial candidates. Do you agree? We'll see. I haven't seen exactly where they uh, <coughs> will, will come down. I would be curious, particularly what Walker Stapleton makes of this for some of the uh, reasons David enunciated from a more conservative free market ideology. My take on this, I don't wholly disagree with David. In fact, I don't even largely disagree with David. Uh, this might be good public policy. It might be good environmental stewardship. But let's put to bed this notion of an investment. When I hear the phrase investment, I hear risk, that there is some risk attached to the investment. And based on that risk, maybe you get returns, maybe you don't get returns. This is a guaranteed investment because the rate payers are back, uh, the XL ratepayers through the Public Utilities Commission basically backstop it and with our utility bills every month we enrich XL uh, in, in this investment they're making. So it is not an investment in any sense of the word that you know some of us around the table might take some money out of our end of the month check and, and give it to an investment advisor and say put it here or put it there. It is a guaranteed uh, return Excel's in an enviable shape. Uh, they are able to do a lot on the renewable side and maybe bully for them. But uh, their return on that investment is a guaranteed, uh, guaranteed deal. Megan, I have a feeling the Denver Post editorial uh, page has had an opinion about this. Uh, am I right? Yeah, so we wrote an editorial, um, and I, I spent quite a bit of time digging into the documents that Excel has put forward to try and determine is this a good deal for Colorado ratepayers? And I think at the end of the day, there are concerns about um, whether it would save consumers as much money as Excel is saying that it would. Um, but it, 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 when it all washes out, it will indeed, over the long run, be a savings for ratepayers. Um, I think that you're going that you have two things going on. One, you're currently paying a, a one percent fee for for renewable energy on your bill, and that might have gone away, but it's going to stay and, and pay for these new um, uh, outlays. And so I, I don't think that anyone's utility bills are going to be going up, and then at, in years forward, they'll start saving money. Um, part of that is because wind is so subsidized, and it, there is some irony that it's subsidized by our federal taxpayer dollars. It's, it's not free money. It's our money. Um, but I do think it, it is going to accomplish both things simultaneously, redu reducing our carbon emissions and eventually reducing ratepayers' bills. Um, yes, not as much as Excel says it is, but it's, it's still, at the end of the day, when you put all the cards on the table, I think the right move.
Patty, Pueblo remains the center of Colorado's energy story. What's the next chapter? Oh, the next chapter will be when people start opening their bills come the first cold weather in December and January, and they discover how big their bills are and that they are not going down, and then contemplating who will realize the benefits if indeed they come 25 years from now. By then, we'll all be huddled under quilts in the nursing home, but uh, maybe not some at this table. <laughs> but uh, it does seem like they have... Um, they. Excel is getting all the benefits, none of the risk. It's good that they are going to have, they're focusing on the environment, or they say they're focusing on the environment, but I will believe it when I see it, assuming I still can in 25 years. <laughs> the Denver City Council unanimously approved a measure for the November ballot that would dramatically address campaign financing in civic races. The referred measure is a compromise of a citizen-led effort to reduce big money in politics. The key element includes a 9-to-1 match of donations up to $50 for candidates who do not accept special interest money. Eric, uh, is this something that uh, you think is going to be easier to swallow than the citizen initiative that was, I guess, inspired this referred measure? Perhaps, although there's still a lot to this one. In fairness to city council, they, they were in a situation where they either had to put on the citizen measure that had been initiated through petitions or do something with the petitioner's consent, which this is it. Uh, this strikes me as just complete evidence of the disconnect between intent, even good intent, and consequence. I mean, we have seen for the last 30 years campaign finance reform after campaign finance reform designed by people with absolute good intentions, and yet the consequences intended, unintended, whatever, have often contributed to the ugly political campaign finance system uh, that we now have. In Denver, where stuff like this is attractive, I mean, if we're willing to pass an initiative on rooftop gardens, my suspicion is something like this, which is superficially attractive, with all the other stuff on the ballot, as we talked earlier, people, voters might not dive deep into it, and it may well pass. The real issue with this, they call it the Fair Elections Fund, which is a nice bit of branding, uh, where if you agree to play by certain rules, basically you get a nine-to-one match. If you give $50, the uh, city puts in $450 to that campaign. Those are tax dollars. And I think there is a legitimate First Amendment issue. If there's some issue that I passionately disagree with, why should my tax dollars be used to fund the advocacy of that issue or that candidate? Uh, I'm not on board with this measure, but uh, it will be another topic of debate, and I would anticipate it may well pass. Megan, Denver is usually pretty progressive and pretty generous. Are they this progressive and this generous? I think they might be. I, I just, it'll be interesting to see. There's going to be a lot in the city on the ballot this year, which does tend to push voters to vote no on everything. So that's one possibility. But Denver voters tend to vote yes on these things. So they, they might. Um, and, you know, like he was saying, the, the, um, if you limit those campaign contributions even further, that money is going to find a way to make it to these campaigns and that way is going to be outside of candidate campaigns um, where there isn't any accountability for what's being said. Patty, you're a Denver voter. What do you think about this making the ballot? Well, it's, not, it's going to be on the ballot. The question is, will it pass through? And 
I think the only thing that might prevent it from passing through is that the magic mushroom legalization ballot measure is not going to be on until maybe next May. Uh, actually, if, if magic mushrooms were legal, we could use the money from those sales to subsidize this. I would much right. prefer that to using taxpayer dollars. This is Denver's economy is pretty good, but it is not this good. To th to put this much money into it, and Eric has a good point. We're going to be subsidizing anybody, whether we agree with them or not. It is a very expensive but nice-sounding program. David, uh, being from Boulder, we're usually expecting Boulder to provide us this kind of fodder for the CIO table. Do you think an idea like this could catch on in places like Boulder or other progressive strongholds if it has some success well, in Denver? Possibly, but it's all an exercise in futility. If, if you dump three tons of cheese and, and nuts uh, in the middle of the Civic Center Park, and then you say, okay, now we're going to have really strict laws uh, to keep the mice and squirrels from coming in here. Uh, you, you, you can do your best, but it ain't going to work. <laughs> and the Denver city government, uh, under my, for a long time, but even more so under Mayor Hancock, is this treasure trove for the mice and the squirrels because what you invest in politics can come back to you, especially if you're a big business and powerful, with so much more of the taxpayers' money ended up in your pocket. And that's why our Colorado Constitution forbade all corporate welfare. If we got back to enforcing the text of our Constitution so that the government didn't have so much cheese uh, to give out to the big Chamber of Commerce squirrels, uh, we'd have less money in politics in the first place. All of our cheese underwriters here at Colorado Public Television I appreciate how much press time they're getting on the show tonight. It is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Ms. Calhoun, as always, please start us off. Well, we've insisted that the media is not the enemy of the people at this table before. In fact, the media is the people and the representatives of the people. So those who want to be elected by the people should probably remember to talk to the media now and then, even if they don't like us. If you haven't seen uh, Patty's <laughs> latest column about her interactions at the, the Denver Rustlers, what was well, it? Well, it was the kickoff for the Denver Rustlers for the uh, State Fair. And her interactions with gubernatorial candidate Walker Stapleton. Please do yourself a favor and look it up. You will not be disappointed. David. As the nation mourns the passing of a very brave and genuine patriot, Senator John McCain, let's remember Seth MacFarlane, that despicable fellow, uh, the creator of fam Family Guy, who in 2008 had his cartoon showing that people who supported John McCain's presidential campaign were Nazis. Eric. So many, uh, so many possibilities, as always. How about the RTD? We have flaggers back on the quote-unquote A-line, which I often refer to as the C-minus line, because I don't think it deserves an, an A-grade. Uh, and now, you know, the G line is further delayed because they can't get the A line right. I just don't understand why crossing gate technology, you know, I thought we had those in the late 1800s. Throughout the 20th century, we're now well into the 21st century. Why is this technology so darn complicated that RTD can't get it right and we need these flaggers back? I think of all the great, wonderful, exploding values of real estate in Denver, except for probably those poor souls enduring those horns <laughs> as the train comes through, as if they're in the middle of the rail yards. Uh, Megan, your, uh, your point for Disgrace of the Week. Well, um, I, I'm a big advocate of, of accurate and fair campaigns, and so the Disgrace for the Week goes to Jared Polis, 
who yesterday said that mortality for women would go up if Walker Stapleton were elected. It's just too much hyperbole. Mortality for women is not going to go up if Walker Stapleton is elected. Yes, you have different opinions on um, abortion and women's rights, but let's tone that down a, a, a notch. Tone it down in politics. You're an optimist, Megan. <laughs> uh, time to say something nice. Patty. It's a great weekend in Colorado for everything but turkeys because they'll be chomping on turkey legs at the state fair. And the Taste of Colorado, Taste of Colorado is free, revamped. Get out there or go down to the state fair, which is wonderful. See the animals those that the wrestlers just bought and enjoy the Labor Day weekend. David. Um, I remember the wise words of uh, Denver's great district attorney, Dale Tooley, who in 1983 said most voters don't think that RTD could run a two-car funeral. <laughs> Eric. A week ago on the show, we had just received the news that uh, Senator McCain was terminating uh, any, any treatment. We knew the end was near. The end came a day later. Uh, David mentioned it in his previous comment. I mean, this is a one-of-a-kind patriot, public servant, somebody in it for the best reasons. I loved a tweet from a columnist, Anna Navarro, who's, a, I believe, a Republican uh, political operative, and she talked about the welcoming room in heaven with John McCain and Aretha Franklin arriving. <laughs> Megan. Um, our editorial today in the Denver Post was about former Denver Post colleague uh, Colleen O'Connor, who two years ago today was killed um, while trying to cross the street um, by a drunk driver. And our editorial just calls for to remember her spirit and legacy. She was a wonderful woman, um, and uh, not to, to drive drunk and to, to um, be responsible. It's great to keep that legacy alive. You're right. A quick reminder, we kick off the election season. That's right, election season's already here. Next Friday, 7 p.m. with Colorado Decides. We'll feature debate about the proposed education funding amendment. And at 7.30, we'll kick off the Both Sides of the Story Fall Tournament. Eight high school students from all over the state debate Colorado issues. You won't want to miss it. One last thing before we go. This week, the nation celebrated National Dog Day. Dogs definitely deserve their own day. Uh, but a couple of days ago, my wife and I lost our 16-year-old beagle. Madison, uh, it, it's funny. Even though she was 16 years old, she wasn't sick, but definitely showing her age, I always thought we had more time. And it occurred to me that I think all of us do that with all of our loved ones, four-legged or otherwise. And while we should always hope for more time, we should never put off showing love. That is never time that is wasted. So to celebrate National Dog Day a few days late, We've given Madison a little screen time in our credit roll. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.